Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest BreastCancer.org podcast. We're doing a research news-focused podcast today, and our guest, as always, is Dr. Brian Wojciechowski, who is the BreastCancer.org medical advisor. Dr. Wojciechowski, hello, welcome, and how are you today? Doing very well. How are you, Jamie? I'm great. So we have four studies that we're going to talk about today. Um, The first one came out um, just a little while ago, a few days ago, and it was a long-term study, or excuse me, a a study looking at the long-term benefits of Herceptin for early-stage HER2-positive disease. And Dr. Brian, this wasn't really surprising, but it's um, very positive, and it's good to know that this sort of standard of care is is has these long-lasting benefits, correct? That is exactly right. We have known about the survival benefit of HER2-targeted therapies, uh, specifically Herceptin in early-stage disease for quite a while. And it does take, it does take a while when you're treating early-stage disease to see a benefit and see a difference as opposed to when you're treating stage 4 in these studies. So it's, re- it's very nice and reassuring to know that the benefit of adding Herceptin goes out to beyond five years to 10 years, and this is a good thing. It means we're, we're saving women's lives, and, uh, and that benefit goes out at least 10 years. And one other thing to point out, I know sometimes it's concerning. Uh, we do know that Herceptin can cause heart problems in certain women, especially women that have pre-existing conditions such as high blood pressure or diabetes. And this study seemed to show that the heart problems were not um, any more, like they didn't show up that much more in the group that got Herceptin. And when the women stopped getting Herceptin, most of the heart problems seemed to resolve. Right. The difference was between, so on one arm, there was 0.2%. Uh, deaths from heart problems versus 0.1% deaths uh, from heart problems in women who got chemotherapy alone and did not get Herceptin. Uh, The first thing to say about that is that that's a very low percentage, a low rate of events. Mm -hmm. And the second thing to say about it is there's really not much of a difference between the two. Yeah, very, very small. That tells me that the, the contribution of Herceptin to the heart problems in these patients was minimal at best. That's that's very good. That's great, and it's good to know, and it's good to know that we have this treatment now. I guess it's fair to say for all stages of HER2-positive disease because now we know Herceptin helps treat early stage and it helps treat you know later stage and metastatic. Truly. Okay, so that's a good positive story. Our next study um, was looking at women who were having their ovaries removed preventively because they knew or suspected that they had either a BCR, an abnormal BRCA1 gene or an abnormal BRCA2 gene. And the, when the surgeons were removing the ovaries, they also found what are called occult cancers in 2% of the women. So I'm going to ask you, Dr. Brian, if you could explain to us what an occult cancer is and what this kind, what this study kind of means in the bigger picture. An occult cancer is a cancer that's not apparent clinically. So consider this. Consider a woman who comes in with no symptoms, lab work is good, really no indication that's, that anything is wrong. Uh, 
we're doing the risk reduction surgery, taking the ovaries out because of the high risk of cancer. And what do you know, we actually find cancer in the ovaries that we remove. And that's what an occult cancer is. Okay. So something that was there, but it was found not because you were looking for cancer. It was found for doing something else. Yeah, you're doing it as a preventative thing, really. Okay. And the fact that you have a two point, you know, a two percent risk of finding an occult cancer after the surgery just confirms and reaffirms the the whole idea of doing preventative surgery. That the reason we do it is to prevent getting cancer. Okay, and so it's. I guess what this study is showing us then that that there really is a good reason for certain women, if it's, you know, if they believe it's the right thing for them, that preventive surgery can really help lower the risk of, of and being I, and diagnosed. I think we already knew that, but this study just kind of bolsters that knowledge. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. That's another very good positive study. I like these. Um, we have another study that is going to go live on our site very soon. Uh, we're sort of giving you a preview of it now. And this research was looking at... Um, the genetics of Latina women, because overall, Latina women have a somewhat lower risk of breast cancer when you compare them to white women and black women. And researchers have always wondered, you know, why that is. Are there risk factors? Are there certain things that Latina women do? Um, or is it a, a genetic thing? And these researchers found that there is some sort of genetic variant that seems to offer some protection to some Latina women. And um, Dr. Brian, if you, I don't know if we want to go into all the science behind it, but basically it's a very um, common type of genetic variation, correct? That's exactly right. If you think of DNA as your genetic code, and the code consists of, say, you know, billions of, of single letters, a, an SMP, which is called a single nucleotide polymorphism, is a very common uh, error in that genetic code, and it consists of a single letter being replaced by the wrong letter. And we all have many of these in our genetic code, and most of them really don't mean anything because most of the genetic code is actually non-coding. Uh, but these mutations, if you want to call them that, are commonly inherited in families and in certain ethnic groups. And that explains why uh, Hispanic women will have them more often than, say, Caucasian or, or black women. Okay, yeah. And I, I noticed in the study they said that indigenous women, so or women that had indigenous heritage, so they were looking at women from Mexico and Costa Rica, I believe, and so women who had heritage of, of the native peoples of those countries seem to be more likely to have this genetic variant, which sort of goes along with what you said, that it's inherited in families. So it would make sense that it kind of got passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, it just means that historically the indigenous peoples were more likely to mate with each other than, say, uh, other ethnic groups. Okay. And, and what this means in the bigger picture, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but what we want to say is that it doesn't mean you get a free pass if you have this genetic variant. It's, it does help reduce risk, but certainly everybody should still do all that they can to lower their risk of breast cancer. That's right. It doesn't mean that 
you don't get mammograms or breast exams or try to limit your alcohol intake or keep keep at a healthy weight. So it shouldn't give anyone a, a false sense of security. I think all the standard recommendations and guidelines still apply to Hispanic women and indigenous women. Okay. And, and because what we don't know either is if somebody did have this particular variation, but say they smoked and um, drank a lot of alcohol, we don't know the effect on that genetic variant. We, nobody's done that research. So it, it certainly doesn't mean that um, it negates any sort of higher risk factors that you might have. Exactly. Okay. And the last study we're going to talk about, uh, there is a relatively new test on the market called the ProSigna Breast Cancer Prognostic Gene Signature Assay, which is a giant mouthful of words. And um, basically, this is a genomic test, and it was approved by the FDA, but we're not quite sure. Well, we are quite sure. We actually can't use it yet to make treatment decisions. We can use it to get some more information. And, and Dr. Brian, I'm going to have you explain why this is, because the test was not looked at, was not tested prospectively. Right. The, this test is a very sophisticated, very expensive test. Looking at uh, genetic changes or mutations in a woman's breast cancer that can help give prognostic information and separate women into different groups in terms of what is their risk for a breast cancer recurrence in the future. I think every oncology doctor, particularly breast cancer specialists, agrees that these type of tests are the wave of the future. But some of it is not quite ready for prime time because we don't quite have strong enough clinical data to support their use. For example, this study looked retrospectively at patients who had already had recurrences. And while that's important and while that suggests that the test could be useful in the future, it's not good enough for me to do the test on a woman and therefore say, oh, since you have a low risk, you can, you can only take five years of tamoxifen as opposed to 10 years. Uh, we just don't have that data yet. If you start at the beginning of a study and use the test to put women into different risk groups and then treat some of those women with five and some of those with 10 years of tamoxifen, and you show a difference, then yes, you can absolutely use that to make treatment decisions. But the fact of the matter is we do not yet have that strong data that we can actually use it in that way clinically. The best studies so far for tamoxifen in early stage breast cancer are the ATLAS and ADAM trials, which showed a benefit for 10 years of tamoxifen over five years, and that benefit applied to all comers. So I think in the future, we'll, we will be using these kinds of tests. But for me personally, in my practice, I'm not convinced we have strong enough data to use it today. Okay, that sounds good. And just to, um, to make it clear, this ProSigna test, it was designed for postmenopausal women who had been diagnosed with early stage hormone receptor positive disease. They, were being, they had been treated with five years of hormonal therapy 
And then the idea was the test would then help give a risk score for women who were either more likely or less likely to have a recurrence in the body away from the breast, a distant recurrence, more after the five years of hormonal therapy. So the idea in theory is that it could perhaps help doctors decide who would benefit more from taking hormonal therapy for 10 years. But as you just told us, Dr. Brian, the studies show that all women benefit from 10 years of hormonal therapy. Yes, and I think if we had better and stronger studies, we may be able to in the future, based on using a test like ProSigna, select out certain women who only need five years. And I, I hope that's where we go eventually, but I don't think we're there yet. And let me just add on that I, I mentioned tamoxifen, but obviously this would uh, this would also apply to uh, women taking aromatase inhibitors, such as Femara, Arimidex, and Aromacin. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for clarifying that. That's always good to know. So while the test results are promising, as you said, perhaps not quite ready for prime time yet, more research is probably needed before we can use these results to really make treatment decisions. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Brian. You've been very helpful in explaining a lot of this very complicated research. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us for the breastcancer.org research news podcast, and we will be back with you next month, right? Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you so much.